A reading from the book of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, Find out who in it is worthy, and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let the, your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. The word of the Lord. I want you to picture with me for a few moments long and lazy days. Think of skies so blue and clouds so white and grass so green. I want you to think about heaping mounds of homemade ice cream <laughs> and ice-cold watermelon and fresh hot dogs smothered in mustard and onions, maybe a, a baseball team in front of you playing one of America's 
slowest, most relaxing sports. <laughs> I want you to think about no calendar, no clock, no agenda, just the slow, still, peaceful, quiet relaxation of summer. I have vague memories of such summers, and maybe the last one that I enjoyed that way was at least 50 years ago. Can any of you picture that kind of summer? Let's just go home now. <laughs> you guys ready for the benediction? <laughs> Summertime is different, of course, for most of us. The schedules change. They're not necessarily less busy, but they're busy in different sorts of ways. Some of us maybe are retired and we don't notice so much difference from summer to other seasons of the year, but I don't know any retired person who isn't also very, very busy. But that's just the way it is with modern life. Summertime, though, is a good time, I think, for that change of pace, if you will. And for me, part of that change of pace involves thinking a little bit about the year that has just passed and also thinking about the year that lies ahead. In my way of thinking, the year does not really begin on January 1st, it begins on September 1st, as we kick off again with the school year and the church program year, and it continues pretty much through June, and then July and August sort of change pace. By the way, tomorrow is July 15th, the summer is half over. And you're saying, oh, I, we didn't need to think about that. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. I have a question that I ask myself, and so it's a question that I'll ask you today. I ask myself in the summertime, what have I been doing with my life? And then I also ask, what am I going to do with my life? It's a question all of us should ask because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to think about these days that speed up and that fly past. What have we done? What will we do? As always, especially for folks who have some inkling of the fact that we trust God, Believe God, know God, hear from God. As always, it's a good idea to go to the scriptures and think about what God might say to us through them. And so I take us today to those two passages that Lily so beautifully read a moment ago. Famous passages, if you will, but famous for a reason, because they say so much to us. The call of Isaiah. Isaiah has a vision. A moment in time that's impossible to describe, but still an experience of seeing into heaven. 
the awesome, amazing, powerful, mysterious creator of the universe. No real way to describe it, but when Isaiah has that experience, he knows that he has no business being there. And yet God has a reason for revealing himself to Isaiah. God says, I need somebody to do something for me. God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Hold that thought in your mind of little old Isaiah, just a guy like any of us, seeing God, hearing God, feeling God. And God says, I need some work done. And Isaiah says, okay, keep that thought in your mind. And then let's go to the other passage, the one from Matthew. Isaiah is the passage about the call of God. Matthew is a passage about the sending of God. As the story is told, Jesus calls disciples to be with him. Not just the 12 guys. There's a whole lot more than that. He calls people to come and live with him and learn from him and change their thinking about who God is and what life is all about and what we're supposed to do in life. And, and after a while of teaching, after a while of apprenticeship, if you will, long before the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus sends the disciples out. We're told that Jesus sends actually 70 out. That's what Luke tells us. Jesus sends 70 of his followers out. He says, you know, you've been watching me for a while. You've been participating with me for a while. Now I'm going to send you out to do the same things that I've been doing. What did Jesus send these disciples out to do? It's a long list of words, and I want you to focus on that list of words because we're going to come back to it. Jesus says, go and proclaim and cure and raise and cleanse and cast out and give and greet and let your peace come to those whom you meet. Let's think about that again. Go, proclaim, cure, raise, cleanse, cast out, give, greet, let your peace come. Jesus sent his followers out to do what he had been doing, the exact same things. He said, go give it a try. You've watched me for a while, now do it yourselves. And they went. There's a lot more to talk about that we won't have time to talk about today, about what happens when they come back to Jesus and say, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> we'll talk about that someday. For now, though, let's look at these two stories. God's call and claim upon Isaiah's life and Isaiah's response, and then Jesus' call and claim upon his disciples' lives and their response. Isaiah did not feel worthy. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's sort of a nice theological way of saying, I'm not good enough, God to do anything that you would ask me to do. Now, Isaiah was kind of in trouble there because if God says, I want you to do something, who are you to say that God has made the wrong choice? <laughs> and so God touches Isaiah's lips with the hot coal. God cleanses him and says, no, Isaiah, 
I have a job for you to do. Don't tell me you're not worthy. I have made you so. And so Isaiah takes a risk. All of life is risk, frankly. You risk when you open your eyes in the morning and when you get out of bed and when you start doing the stuff you do in life. Isaiah takes a risk. He believes God. What a novel idea. To perceive and to know and to experience the creator who made you and then to say, well, maybe you know what you're doing, God. <laughs> I'll say yes. That's what the disciples had done with Jesus. Did they have any clue what they were getting into? I don't think so. But still, they risked following. They risked learning. They risked trusting what Jesus said to them about themselves and what Jesus taught them they could do for others. Now, let's look at those disciples. I know that when we read the Bible, we are in holy ground, and sometimes we think of all the stuff that's going on in the Bible as very different from anything that we would go through, but that's really not the case. All of these disciples that followed Jesus were just ordinary people. And they still were ordinary people when Jesus sent them out on their mission. They were not ministers. They were not professional Christians. They were what every follower of Jesus is. And that is someone who is learning how to be a human being. Learning how to live the human life that God has given us from the author and creator and designer of that life. They were ordinary people, like all of us ordinary folk, whom Jesus was teaching how to become extraordinary only in this sense, in the sense that they trusted God, they risked believing God, and they decided to follow God. Jesus gave them a list of jobs to do. It's not an exhaustive list necessarily, but it's a pretty good list. Let me go back through that list again. Go, proclaim, cure, raise, cleanse, cast out, give, greet, share peace. Now, as you and I think about that list, maybe you're like me, you focus on the hardest parts of it. I have to confess to you, I have never raised anyone from the dead. I have woken some people up before. And I know you're saying, yeah, you're a preacher. You've put them all to sleep before too, right? <laughs> Has anyone ever raised you from death and kind of woken you up and set you back on your feet and said, keep on going? It's happened for me before. Have you ever cured anyone before? There are some people who perhaps have that power. I don't pretend to limit God. But I've never actually laid my hands on someone and miraculously healed whatever their infirmity or disease was, except maybe I have. 
Sometimes I've had the opportunity to lay my hands on someone and say, you do not need to let your guilt or your fear or your shame or your confusion hold you down anymore. There are folks in this room who do lay their hands on others and participate in God's physical healing. You see, we have to open our minds a little bit and understand that everything that Jesus was doing and everything that Jesus said we could do actually works. And you don't have to do it all. Jesus never expects anyone to do everything. But he does expect everyone to do something. If you cannot find in this job description somewhere, something that you can do, then let's talk this week because we're going to find it. I'm convinced we can. I'm convinced that we will. You see, God's claim, God's decision, God's plan is for us to be doing some of his work. Because as we're doing his work, we're doing our work. As we're doing God's work that is our work, we are experiencing the joy that God himself has in continuing to create the world. That's who we are. That's what we're about. Not all the time. God doesn't expect you to work 24-7, 365. You do get to sit back every once in a while, take your shoes off, look at the clouds in the sky, feel the warm breeze wafting over you, and eat as many big bowls of heaping homemade ice cream as you can. That's God's way of restoring you and renewing you so that you can keep on working. It's a balance in life. If it gets out of balance, we're in trouble. But it's always good in this summertime when we want to, and usually do, get to kick back a little bit. It's always good to remember why God is giving us this energy, this strength, this renewal. It's because God has work for us to do. Helen and I just got back from about seven days in New Mexico, and partly on purpose and partly not on purpose, we found ourselves driving a lot of the back roads in New Mexico. And a lot of those roads were along the Rio Grande River that take you through all of the farmland. All throughout the Rio Grande River now, there are beautiful, beautiful fields of chili growing. Chili is as sacred as ice cream is, Dick. <laughs> there are also fields and fields and fields of alfalfa and hay and all that wonderful stuff. It, it got me to thinking back to my childhood when the, the guys would try to get a job in the summer bucking hay. How many people here know what bucking hay is? Good for you. Bucking hay, Mike, is when you're a skinny, scrawny 14-year-old and you want to make the football team, but you're not strong enough, and so you get a job picking up huge bales of hay and throwing them up onto the truck. That's called work. <laughs> Reminded me of a phrase that we use often. Making hay 
finish it for me. Making hay while the sun still shines. Right? Right? You know, it's really kind of a silly saying because not a single one of us here makes hay. We never have. Who makes hay? God makes hay. You plant it. Sun comes out. Rain comes down, hay grows. The only interesting thing about it is that it just sits there unless we do something with it. Making hay while the sun still shines. Well, guess what? We're all still here. The sun is still shining. We have hay to make. That's a holy thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. You are worthy of making the hay that God wants you to make, that God calls you to make. So keep on. Amen.